Good afternoon and welcome back to our Adepec on Air podcast series recorded live here from the Wood Stand. My name is Steph and I'm your host today and I'm joined by my colleague Peter Caridius, Global Customer Success Manager at Wood and Kieran Darmacillian, Senior Analyst from Verdantix. Welcome both. Thanks so much right, for joining us today. So digital and the world of digital solutions is most certainly a topic of discussion here at Adepec, but also across our industry globally. We're embracing digitalization as a key driver for change and improvements with solutions such as digital twin and artificial intelligence described as revolutionizing our industry. So focusing on the digital process technology to kick us off, how are we utilizing this tech to reduce emissions from our operations? Peter, I'll come to you first. Sure, so I, um... Actually, gave a talk about this yesterday <laughs> here, uh, and we've we've been finding that there's immediate uh, immediate opportunities to use digital to optimize existing assets to get sort of this ten to twenty percent emissions intensity out of them, and we're doing that by um, in, in in three big ways. So the first is um, reducing, basically increasing the efficiency of uh, power generation and gas-driven compression. The second is uh, reducing the amount of trips that we have in our equipment, which reduces flaring and, uh, and potentially some fancy on some assets. And then there's advanced sort of advanced process control to optimize the process itself. When we couple this with methane leak mitigation, which is also a digitally enabled piece, um, that's, that's giving us those sort of 10 to 20 percentage points of emissions intensity reduction out of existing assets using just by optimizing them using digital. Yeah, it's a quite an interesting point you say there in terms of kind of using tools to optimize what you're doing already. And that's yeah. kind of a huge trend we're seeing right now in terms of this idea that you take a, a predictive maintenance tool, for example. Ten, ten years ago, really, it's just maintenance oriented. It's mm-hmm. condition monitoring to understand what's happening in my asset today to hopefully understand or better prepare my inspections, um, interventions, etc. But as analytics have kind of progressed over the last few years, what we're trying to see is those tools are now being used on different use cases. Yeah, sure. So we're changing this idea of, okay, we can predict when something's going to happen. So how can we use that for a net zero impression? Yeah. So can we start predicting towards this idea that if we know it's going to fail, how can we optimize it for the, the emissions management or the leaks and seeps management? Yeah. And I guess back to your point of it's it's not necessarily a, a carbon capture investment for net zero. I mean, there is work, but it's really around what can we do now, what we already are doing now, right. to kind of improve that operations and optimize the existing infrastructure and technology to, to make that 10, 20% gains? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. sorry, were you wanting to? No, I was just going to say, it's just, the way I hear that, it's like there was a focus. It's, it's like taking, when you had your asset performance, asset health solutions, you had a focus on production uplift, but that may have led to inefficiencies. But if you take a different lens on the same stack and say, let's focus on efficiency, you then get better, you get better emissions outcomes. Yeah, exactly. It's literally just repositioning the data you already have, the analytics you sure, already have, yeah. moving it away from the KPIs that were traditionally kind of your revenue generation, but now looking at kind of efficiency, safety, yeah. reliability, all these other things that are just as important nowadays, and really just driving the kind of that that C-suite message in a different sense. And sticking, I guess, to that reducing emissions and decarbonizing assets piece. There's already a lot of work happening to reduce scope one and two emissions, but 
How can we integrate our supply chain to focus on the reduction of scope three? Yeah, so we've, we just touched on then around how well, um, this, we're working on immediate opportunities to reduce scope one and two through optimization. And then we have obviously the wider narrative uh, around the bigger bets of electrification, CCUS, alternative fuels. The, um, the, the challenge then becomes, oh, okay. And we're working with a few of our clients, particularly in the mining, uh, the material space in this, in the sense that the remaining emissions are now in the supply chain is scope three. And that, that means, and then to drive down that piece, then effectively you have to peer into your supply chain, either side. So the materials you're procuring to develop your, your projects or the product you're selling and how it's being consumed. The reason I bring, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to chat about this in, in, a, in a digital piece is because, because we now have these um, strong ERP systems and asset management systems, we can peer into our supply chain either side and we can start to put uh, norms and benchmarks on top of that data to understand where the carbon is in our supply chain um, and help us make decisions on what material we procure from which vendors and what's in our supply chain and also how we build a product that our customers can can use in a less carbon intense way and digital is our key to that because we're using um we're using standardized erp systems to to buy materials and then sell to others and therefore we can track the carbon through that system using the norms that we developed through our capital projects um and and the way we would are doing that is because every time we do a project, we know the embedded carbon in the, in the materials. And then we then use this to influence our next capital project to say, well, these are decisions you can make in your upstream to reduce the carbon intensity of the project. And this is how you can make a better product uh, or you can influence your customer through the product you sell. Interesting. And maybe just ask you a follow-up question. Yeah. Because um, one of the things we're hearing a lot, especially when talking to the, the technology vendors on the kind of the operations maintenance side, is this idea that um, the better we improve the process at that kind of scope one, scope two level, the more prepared you are for that scope three. So take a refinery, if you understand the crude coming in, the crude coming out, yep. you're much more prepared to understand what your product's going to be and what that impact's going to have going down the line. But obviously then you start having the problems kind of you're alluding to in terms of what is that downstream supply chain look like, yep. the, the kind of actual complexity of that downstream, which we an oil and gas firm and how to track it and everything around that as well. Are you seeing much evolving our technology to support just the, the development there? Or is it really kind of, let's just start putting some sort of traceability to what we're emitting to help understand what that scope three could actually be? Sure. So, well, what we're, um, so in terms of technology, um, okay, so let's use an, a data point. So when we're doing developing LNG projects today, they're basically because they're like the, the if we're developing electrified energy facilities, we've already taken 90, 90 plus percent of the scope one and twos out. Yeah. But you're still producing, you're, then you're producing a product which then needs to be used in a value, uh, a value added way downstream, be that through a petrochemical value process or similar. Um, what, from a technology perspective, well, we're working with customers and we're seeing, um, and we're seeing a trend in the market where our customers want us to, to, like tell them to to use but um to aggregate the data of the upstream supply chain they have okay. and calculate the total in the total embedded, embedded emissions basically mm -hmm. and then help them 
from systematically drive that down using data-driven approaches. Okay. Yeah, cool. That makes perfect sense. I guess sticking then to data, and it's very much, I guess, data is driving change. Companies are seeing firsthand the value investing in adopting technologies, specifically in optimizing production across the value chain. From for Tantex, have you seen any terms or trends or utilization of things within that space? In terms of kind of the data management landscape, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I mean, data management is by far the biggest um, challenge we're seeing in industry right now. Mm -hmm. So um, we do our surveys every year. We talk to to operations engineers, managers, exe executive level position people in that, in that space to understand what's going on, what's happening, and we wish talk about data with them. And in our recent survey, I think it was 300 plus um, managers there. And what we're hearing here when you call data management, the two big things are the ability to actually integrate technology across different platforms and actually having the ability to, to ingest data, contextualize data, and have some sort of single source of truth. And what we're trying to see now is more and more of the, the software vendors in that space, rather than going, going after a data management platform provider or having a single kind of solution for that. What they're trying to say is, don't worry about your data to your customers. To the customers. They're not saying you need to be at a, ready, a position ready to, to implement your net zero tools, your APM tools. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about the data side. You just work, focus on getting, make sure the data is available. Mm -hmm. Have your sensors, your IoT systems, etc. And then what we'll come in and say is, we'll provide you a, a platform that can ingest your data and then applications will be there on top of it to, to provide the analytics, the, the KPI measuring sources, technologies, etc. And we're seeing that, that shift in mindset from a lot of the vendors is breaking down that data issue. Because it, what it's doing effectively is saying, we'll build that communication layer for you. We'll create a single source. So you're not having to worry about it anymore. It's much more just make sure you've got the data and we'll, we'll try getting further. Yeah, it's about, I guess, it's really easy to capture a lot of data. It's then, what do you then do with it? What's the next step? Do you know what I mean? So it's about, we were talking about this earlier, Peter, about knowledge is power it's then how do you then transfer that into something valuable i'm i'm, I'm really love that that i'm really intrigued by the comment you just made because that shows a side of maturity that the, that the supply chain basically is getting to the point where it's now saying let's not delay you know the more time you spend on 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 integration without adding the actual value optimization or value lever means you're getting further and further away from your actual goal of yeah yeah Increasing safety, reducing costs, reducing emissions, et cetera. So that's really intriguing to me because it shows the sign of maturity in the supply chain that it's now saying, no, no, make sure you've got the, the raw context and then let's solve the problem and we'll integrate it. Yeah, definitely. And it, it goes back to this idea of the market we're in now isn't about let's deploy process simulation, APM, sure. process control. It's much more, I need to reach net zero by 2030 awesome. or I've got yeah. an emissions management issue. Yeah. I need to improve the safety of my plant. Yeah, we're Give me a solution thing. for yep. it. It's not, it's, it's, I don't care what software does it. It's just answer my problem. Yep. Yep. Give me 30% emissions out. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's all they care about. No, that's it. Well, that's the goal. Consultant, vendor per person, yep. just solve my issue. The outcome is the value. Yeah. Not the, the bits in the middles. Exactly. Okay. So to change the subject slightly, something that's been popping up a, a bit of late is generative AI and capitalizing on our workforce and their knowledge. Peter, sure. what can you tell us about generative AI and its use and All right. value? All right, this is, this is fun because obviously there's a lot of talk about this and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of demand. So 
something that was really interesting, and we all we went through this with the predictive maintenance uh, solutions and things. Yeah. In the 2010s, there was the advent really of deep learning on the stage, and that basically meant that you could take a big amount of data, spend a heap of money, and train and train your own algorithm on past experience, and then predict the future. So say you had a valve. Um, we did a lot of work of this in 2010s. You have like you have, uh, uh, we still do this. Well, heap of this work. So you have a, a compressor. You understand the way it works. You understand its signatures when it starts to develop issues. You put that in a deep learning model and then predict the future. The problem with that was that it was very capital. It was very capital intensive. It took a lot of money to train those models, and that led a lot of our clients to say, okay, well, um, I'm a bit concerned about this because I don't wanna, I don't have to train models on every single valve, yeah, or every single. The big opportunity with generative AI to me, to, to me is the fact that you've now reduced the cost, the embedded capital cost of training models to almost nothing. You can just go and get a generalizable model. You can lease it by the hour from the big, vet, you know, the big um, large language model vendors. And that thing has enough context of human knowledge that you can then lay over the top your your domain expertise and immediately start adding value. So an example of that is, um, and that's going to that's kind of boom for our industry. An example of that today, I was talking about how we used, uh, we've done this with uh, with inventory management, because in the past we had to, it was difficult to compare different materials for interchangeability because they had there was there was a human element of understanding what the material is and how it's changeable it is. But with the advent of large language models at scale across the whole material across the whole ERP system, we can now predict which parts work with which other parts algorithmically with very with very little upfront cost and then immediately put that into APM yeah. and other systems yeah. so yeah it's, it's interesting you say that because I mean I fully agree generative AI has this future it's definitely going to help reduce capital cost help with training for understanding what's going on but I mean it, happy to happy for you to contradict me here for you to think but um, <laughs> what we're seeing a lot around is yeah C-suite coming in saying, look, Gen AI for, for safety, Gen AI for integrity, all these uh, things. Right, yeah. But it's almost like they've forgotten what happens to get there. And like you said, there's chatbots out there, they've got ChatGPT, everyone knows what can do, but you have that domain expertise in place, yeah. it's not going to get anywhere. Right. And the conversion of your domain expertise, whether that's kind of your data lake, email chains, PFD, it's just kind of your, your long-standing personnel's experience. Getting that into a kind of a format that language models can use yep. and then replicate and talk about is such a significant process. And when you take that back to kind of where the average corporate kind of operating firm actually is right now, majority still, a lot of them are still saying, you know what, we're still using pen and paper. We've just started our, our digitalization journey. Yeah. They aren't at that data maturity level where yeah. even Gen AI, Gen AI is like, it's a dream. It's definitely there. It's definitely going to get there. But are they, are they almost running before they're walking? Well, the privilege is now they can skip the the they can skip part of the old system where they had to get yeah, a heap of yeah. capital to train their own algorithms because now they can extend these generalizable things on top of that context. Yeah. But yes, you have to get the context. Think think of what's valuable, rare, and difficult. Diff, you know, and the difficult capability to to, cop, to replicate. It is that context that the mm -hmm. organization has. Yeah. And you have to get that context out of whatever it is be that paper yeah. or people's brains into some consumable format that then you layer over the top of the generalizable language, language models to, to scale basically your capability yeah. everywhere. No, definitely. And I think that is something that, at least from what we've heard in industry, 
people forget that there's that step still. It's not just as just easy as logging into ChatGPT and start asking questions. It's really sure. well, there's that kind of barrier to it in terms of getting your expertise into the model. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and as a fundamental, the laws of the universe, if, if ChatGPT has it, that's because it's the bare basics of, of, of human reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean that, and, and that almost creates more value for expertise because now you can scale the expertise. It doesn't so, have, it, it has the base level expertise. It doesn't have, say, domain expertise and floor assurance or something. But what it does let you do is scale that domain expertise. Understand. Yeah. No, I fully agree. And that value is definitely there. I just almost personally feel like there's, there's still a, a journey to get there to, rather than it being a, a job for tomorrow. Sure. But, yeah. So we'll maybe not quite revolutionizing the market just yet, but on its way. Well, it's the workflows, just like, just like Kieran just went through. It's, it's that workflow of, of understanding your problem, working out how you can influence it, capturing the right expertise and implementing the, you know. Yeah, couldn't say any better. Okay, and I guess taking it back down to the theme then of Adepec and why we're here, decarbonizing and the road to net zero, which is clearly a focus for not just the industry that's here in the Middle East, but actually you know, the industry globally. I guess in a digital perspective, are there any technologies that you've seen, Kieran, that are really de delivering value for companies in the net zero space? Any revolutionizing digital tech? I mean, there's a lot out there. I mean, you've got the, the pretty dimensions, the energy management, the emissions management, the carbon management. So I think everyone talks about that. Everyone knows about them. I think one we're seeing that maybe isn't as obvious to, to, the, to the space, but a lot of people are seeing kind of as, seen as a helpful tool is asset investment planning. So um, for those aren't aware, that's really your ability to start projecting kind of 10, 20 years into the future, understanding the risk of a potential investment, and then changing your, your, your budget and your plans, your your day-to-day -day operations accordingly. And what, what AIP's SMS and planning tools let you do is really um, start, how do you put this, really start quantifying the non-quantifiable. So if you look at net zero sustainability, it's all well and good saying so you want to reduce emissions, but when you take that back to, to kind of the C-suite, they look at monetary values, right? Mm -hmm. If you're saying, okay, we're just emissions like this amount, but that means we're going to save half a million dollars, that's the, the, the golden number that's going to help you get the, the investment budget. Or if it's going to be, if we don't make an intervention on this asset at the, within the next five years, we're at huge risk for, for environmental damage to, to the wildlife in that area. The implication of that is X amount of dollars on our fines and our inability to comply to the new regulations coming through. And that kind of support and far-sight knowledge, I think it's really driving some of the kind of net zero to 2030 goals and plans. Yeah, especially if it goes 10, 20 years into the future. Exactly. It's pretty impressive. And um, I guess sticking to the theme then of decarbonizing and net zero, um, something we're asking all of our podcast participants, um, and Peter has already answered this, so he's getting off the hook because he answered it previously today. But um, we're already working as an industry to decarbonize. But what is the one thing that you think we need to do better to get there faster? Yeah, um, it's quite, a, it's quite a, uh, I guess, a charged question. It is. <laughs> it's not as easy as saying everyone needs to do this thing and that's it. It's very industry dependent. It's very much depending on how easy it is for an industry to 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 decarbonize as well as the pressures in, in the market. And we're seeing, I'd say kind of four main areas where we're seeing firms starting to work that decarbonization journey, kind of one being 
the kind of more easy to to change types of industries then start looking at can we move to kind of renewable tools more green energy the more kind of intensive more pressurized areas looking at more kind of digital solutions or electrifying your your businesses whereas the big kind of oil and gas is the the ones that have a huge portfolio so like diversifying looking at kind of obvious digital solutions but also things like ccs and and kind of kind of other carbon abatement tools out there to start looking at hey where else can we start navigating our portfolio and moving to that kind of decarbonization journey if i had to think of it as like a a one thing everyone needs to do what needs to go i think the, the first start is really assess what you really have now understand what is going on now and understand what your your limitations are and your context is there and once you've got a good grasp of that, whether that's kind of assessing the criticality of your assets, the risk of your assets, or the kind of the, the emissions productions you have, et cetera. Once you've had that kind of deep understanding of what's going on now, start looking at where, where you get the, the low hanging fruits, use digitalization tools, start looking at, hey, can we capitalize on, what we said at the start, the, the 10 or 20% the easy bits, because yeah. that's your journey, right? It's not mm-hmm. going to happen tomorrow, but if you start making steps towards it, you're going to start getting there. Yeah, so it's definitely a process and you have to start somewhere, right? Exactly. Right? Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Great insights me. from you both. Thank you. Good stuff. Thanks, Jill.